Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if they found any who, were, who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a name from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he does to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles of their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It is so good just to hear the story of a life that is in the process of being transformed. If you're new here, welcome. We're in a year-long study in the book of Acts, not trying to figure out what happened then, but to see what God would want to do on the Sunset Corridor and beyond in our community. And we're in this section, chapter 7 forward, where Luke gives us profiles of people that God used. How does the good news of Jesus spread from house to house, town to town, city to city? How do you see a move of God spread around the world? Well, God uses people. So we saw Stephen, who's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We've also seen Philip, who's full of the Holy Spirit and an evangelist. And now we get the third profile. We get to see what happens in the life of someone who is probably more anti-Jesus than anyone else in the book of Acts, but it doesn't end that way. Now, if you've read through Acts, you know that this story is repeated. And in the first century, where you're writing on leather, papyrus, and it's super expensive, and there is no email, and everything tangible costs, if you repeat something, it matters. For us, it's no big deal. But to repeat something in the Bible means you really need to pay attention. Well, in Acts, we see the same story repeated three times. Here in Acts 9, then in in Acts 22, and in Acts 26. So for some reason, this like change of life in Saul makes a huge difference. But you know what? It's not just about Saul. As we think about where this lands for you, can I suggest to you this morning that if you are to have a shift in your thinking and a change in who Jesus is to you, that's a big deal. That's why we're celebrating baptisms. 
We're seeing in young people and people a little bit older in the military or in middle school, it doesn't make a difference. Jesus is touching people. And when they have a change inside, it definitely shows up on the outside. And that's exactly what you see here. What happens as a one-on-one encounter with Jesus is now going to propel the movement of the church to the ends of the earth. And I believe the same thing could happen for you. Your entire worldview can change, not in a moment, but beginning in a moment. Not in one day, but it has to start on one day. And I pray that's today for you, that you'll encounter the living God. Well, what do we see in the story? We see a lot of new things happening. And this morning, I just want to focus because we're going to see this encounter again. We're not going to go through all the details, but I want us to look and see at three things that are brand new and, and how our world can be reshaped. The first thing that we see here is that we're called to a new relationship with God. What is this really about? If you, could, you get lost in the details, you miss the big point. Saul thought he knew the living God. He's a religious, zealous Pharisee. He's the most hyper-conservative, by-the-book Jew in the first century. If there's anyone who takes the Bible seriously, it's Saul. If there's anyone who takes the keeping of Torah seriously, it's Saul. The holy days, Saul. The name of God, Yahweh, Saul, temple, Saul. There is no more religious. And yet, as serious as he is, he's seriously off. But what we see is when Jesus comes to Saul, he finds a new relationship with God. To Saul's mindset, Jesus is a fraud. So in the setup of things, God is the center of all things, and the temple is a place where we meet with God. And because Jesus said, if you destroy the temple, I'll rebuild it in three days, even though Jesus is speaking about himself. When Saul gets wind of that, it's proof Jesus is a fraud. He's a false teacher. He's not only to be avoided and ignored, he is to be squashed. So we read it. Saul is breathing out, verse 1, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So much so. You got to love his commitment, you know? I mean, I think there's something that is admirable and something that we we rise up in our own soul and say, I want to be like that. When you find someone thoroughly committed to their cause, whether it's thoroughly committed to their career, thoroughly committed to their sport. Uh, We were able, my wife and I, to go see the Heisman Trophy down at the Oregon Historical Museum on Friday. And all of the repetitive working out, all to get this, you know, whatever statue that now the ducks own. You know, know, you love to see someone thoroughly committed to their craft. And that's who Saul is. The problem is he's totally misguided and totally off. So he gets orders from the religious leaders to squash out the movement. Remember, the Jews are in charge of temple. The Jews to Rome, their their overseers, are an established religion. At this point, Christianity is under the surface. It's not widespread. And Jews are allowed to express their religion, but new cults, according to the Romans, new cults are to be squashed. They want peace and order. And Jesus and his followers are seen as rebels. That's where it is in Saul's time. So look at verse, end of verse 1. He goes to the high priest, asks him for a letter to the synagogues to see if anyone could be found in Damascus who belonged to the way. There's no such thing as Christian yet. Just these people of the way. 
the way of Jesus um, is another way of putting it. Whether men or women. So he's not discriminating. He's willing to crush anybody who follows Jesus. So that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, a light shines from heaven. In Saul's case, we're going to see Jesus steps in. How does how do, how do people become followers of Jesus today? For the most part, it's someone else. Think about your own story. If you're now following Jesus, how did you get to that spot? Most, it's not, I read a Bible that I bought by myself, and I went a room, and I stayed by myself, and I read this old text, and I realized my sin and my need for Jesus, and I started following. That's not most people's story. It's the influence of a, a cousin, a roommate, something you saw on television or a book that you read. God uses people to reach people. But notice in this case, he does not send an apostle. Um, Now, why does Jesus come and meet with Saul face to face? Because some people, you know, you hear him like, well, if Jesus came and met with me, well, for one, you'd probably drop dead. (laughs) The glory of who God is. If God appeared to you, you wouldn't be standing up and you wouldn't be saying, so, like you just, that's just not what you would do. If the presence of the Almighty came and confronted you all throughout the Bible, when God comes to people, they cower down in fear because they realize I am a maggot and God is holy. So why does, why does Jesus appear? Now, Saul's calling required Jesus to come to him. If you think about it, to be an apostle, an official ambassador, a sent one from Jesus, which, by the way, Peter, James, and John, and all the others, they'd walk with Jesus, Acts 1.8. He sends them out. In order to be sent by Jesus, you had to meet him. And Saul, from what we can tell, probably did not know Jesus himself. If he did know of him, he wasn't one of his followers. But Jesus knows Saul's calling. So hear this. Jesus prepares Saul for his future work in order to be an apostle, a recognized, sent one. In order to write scripture, you had to be sent and ordained, so to speak, by Jesus. And Saul did not have that. He was resistant. But Jesus, in his love, knows what Saul is going to do with his life and says, okay, I'm going to authorize you. Now, this happens about one to three years after the resurrection. When you're reading Acts and you're reading the story, you think it all happens in like three months. But no, this Acts is about uh, decades worth of journeys. It could be 30 years of the church. And so we're about one to three years after Jesus. Remember, Jesus only appeared for 40 days. That's it. 40 days. And then he ascended to the Father. Why did Jesus ascend? Because as long as Jesus is here, you're going to want Jesus doing the work. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that you and I would join him in his work. And in order for us to join him in his work, he needs to go away. And now he authorizes people, the apostles and others, to be the authorized representatives of the good news on the earth. And so this is a year to three years later. So Jesus has not been appearing. This is going to come into play later on when Paul goes out and begins to teach. And people wonder, on what authority are you Saul doing these things, and he's going to say again and again, I met the risen Lord. He only appears to Saul. This doesn't happen all throughout Acts. This is a special meeting because Paul, uh, who is now called Saul, has a special mission. If I keep going back and forth on Saul and Paul, it's because you're going to see in Acts 9, he just says Saul, 
but his name is in Hebrew and in Greek. And Saul is his Jewish name, but uh, in Greek or the Romans, they wouldn't call him by his Jewish name. They would call him by his Roman name, which would be Paul. Same guy, but in two different languages. I'm Jose, or in, in, in English, you would call me Joseph. Same thing. So Saul here is going against Jesus, but Jesus confronts him. And I want us to see that one encounter with Jesus changes absolutely everything. Look at verse uh, 3. As he neared Damascus, suddenly the light from heaven flashes around him. He fell to the ground. Again, if you meet Jesus, you're not standing. He hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let's just be reminded when people are resistant to us because of our faith and our stand for Jesus, Jesus takes us personally. He doesn't say, why do you persecute my people? He says, why do you persecute me? When you and I become followers of Jesus, we don't just become friends of God. We become part of the family of God. We're adopted into God's family. And I've got kids. You mess with my kids. You better watch out. That's a threat. No, not to you. I like you. But I got people that could take you out. And that's how Jesus feels. That's how Jesus feels about you. That's how he feels about us. So when we think about the hell being thrown against the church worldwide, don't think that Jesus is unconcerned. He shows his concern, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? And then this word, kyrios, Lord. Now this could simply mean, who are you, sir? Saul asked, because in Greek, kyrios could simply mean a title of respect. So how are you, sir? Hello, kyrios. Thank you, sir. Thank you, kyrios. But it also is the same word that means the respected leader, like capital L, Lord, master. And so I want us to see that that when Jesus appears to Saul, he calls him Lord. Now, is he saying, hello, sir? No, I think by him being blinded and fasting and praying for three days and having a whole life change, he's not just saying, thank you, sir. He's recognizing, oh my gosh. He's got a letter to persecute the church because the church calls Jesus Lord, Kyrios, capital L, master. Now, who else is Lord? Caesar. The Roman emperor is considered Lord, the church steps up and says, no, you could call Caesar little lowercase l. Jesus is capital L, Lord. Jesus is master. We do not bow to Caesar. We bow to Jesus. We get our orders from Jesus. You're going to find that the church does not cave into the cultural pressure. They choose to follow the way of Jesus. And so Saul gets caught up in this. And he says, verse 5, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Again, he's not persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting his followers. And Jesus takes that personally. Now get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So one encounter changes everything. Now for some of us, that happened when you were young. You don't remember, but early on you had a sense, like some of the little ones getting baptized this morning, that Jesus is the Lord. And let's just not gloss that over. That is a revelation from God. God makes himself clear to you. It doesn't seem like, like a huge thing. It happens in small things. But there's something beautiful when someone's awakened to who Jesus really is. 
For some, it's later. For some, it happens in a moment. Others, it happens over weeks or months. But the point is, Saul gets to the point where he realizes that Jesus is now against him because he's persecuting the church, but has come for him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But go into the city, you will be told what you must do. Now what happens to the other people? Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. So Saul gets up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see a thing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Three days he's blind and didn't eat or drink anything. So, so what's happening in a room, this is interesting, in a room, one thing happens, but two different responses, right? Saul realizes he, he encounters Jesus. And now in Acts 22 and 26, it says, they heard a noise and saw a flash, but they didn't know what it was. And so it could be for you. Many people here in this room, hundreds. And some people will walk out and think, Jesus, I'm not sure yet. Others of you can be like, wow, Jesus is alive. And actually Jesus is for me, not against me. How does that happen? Same thing. We're all in a shared experience, but not everyone experiences the same thing. So my prayer for you is that you get the Saul insight out of this gathering. You get a better picture of who Jesus is. And not like the other guys, who were there, heard something, saw something, but they leave unchanged. But, but Saul is shaken up. At this point, he's blind. Now, why is he blinded? I think he needed a time out. He needed, he needed some time away to really process his entire life. Remember, he's trying to kill. He's already been a part of the murder of Stephen. And now this person he's been per- persecuting is, is the king of the universe. How does he read his Bible in the same? What does he do with his life? How does he go back to the high priest? How, how does he report to Jerusalem that this one that everyone's against is actually, what are they going to do to him? If they, if, they killed, if they killed Stephen, what are they going to do to Saul? He needs a few days. And God, in his mercy, hear me, in his mercy, he blinds him so that he can stop and really think about Jesus. At this point, Saul's memorized the Bible. So what is he doing while he's blind? He's praying, and I'm sure he's replaying the entire Bible. And when you encounter Jesus, know this. Starts in a moment. He becomes real, but then it takes some time to figure out, what do I do now? Oh, how do I live? Hey, I'm involved in fill in the blank. Can I do that anymore? I've avoided fill in the blank. Wow, how do I get into that? Jesus does the same thing with Saul as he does with us. He gives us time to figure it out. But I, do, I don't want you to think, wow, okay, so it's Saul and Jesus, and that's it. No, hear me. The thrust of the story is not Saul meets Jesus. The thrust of the story is that Saul enters the family of God. Look at this, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Second thing I want us to see, not only did was he called, and not only are we called to a new relationship with God, we're called to a new relationship with each other. The point of Luke giving us the story three times is to say that there is a people called the church that God is going to use to change the world. The church. And so the church starts when, 
when Jesus sends the Spirit on the 120, and they receive the Spirit, and then it grows to 5,000. And then the church expands, not just to Jerusalem, but to Samaria. And the people that the Jews hated, they're a part of the family of God. Remember, Philip is used by God to make sure that there's one family, not Samaritan Jesus lovers and Jewish Jesus lovers and Hillsboridan Jesus lovers, like whatever. They're one, there's one group and they get the one spirit and they have the one mission. We're part of one church, even though there's many expressions and many subtitles. We are a Jesus people. We are a Jesus church. And so I think that's the thrust of what Luke is getting at. Because God, remember, he comes and meets uh, Saul, but who does he speak to in verse 10? In a vision, he doesn't appear like he does to Saul, but in a vision, he speaks to Ananias. Yes, Lord, same response. Saul says, Lord, Ananias says, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Jesus comes and meets him on the road to Damascus, but now he's in Damascus. And notice, Jesus is still appearing, now in a vision. Now, how can he see a vision if he's blind? Don't get lost in the details. The point is that God is revealing himself in a way that Saul gets. Saul sees a man coming. Obviously, it's a vision in his mind because his eyes are shut. And he's, this man comes and touches him and heals him. Now, here's the trivia question. Why in the world would Jesus do this? Why in the world would he do this? If Jesus met Saul on the road, what's the point of Ananias? Why bring, why bring this other guy into it? To freak him out? Because that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 13. Lord, and I said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, a.k.a. he's killing people. Your holy people are being murdered. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. And now he says something that's ridiculous. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. What I want us to see is God is calling you and me, not just Saul, not just the early followers. He's calling us to each other. Jesus uses Ananias and gifts him with insight. Saul is going to be used. Now you've got to see the, the irony here. Jews, adamant, Torah-keeping Pharisees hate non-Jews. As a matter of fact, they feel like it is a sign of compromise to spend any time with a Gentile because the Gentiles, not that they just racially hated them. No, the Gentiles had rejected Yahweh as the creator. And anyone who rejects Yahweh, a Jew would say, you have rejected the king. You have rejected the Lord. Therefore, I am on his side. I want nothing to do with you. And so who does Jesus send Saul to? Not to the Jews primarily, but in a twist of irony, he's going to take Saul to the very people that he hated, the very people he avoided, and Saul is going to be the apostle, the sent one, to non-Jews. My point is that Jesus will blow your boxes up. He will absolutely amaze you. You say, well, I'm just a, 
I'm just a housewife or I'm just a mom and, and, and I've got my little thing. I got, I got diapers, I got wet wipes, I got a bottle. This is, this is my worldview. And I'm here to suggest because you have received the spirit of God, you can be used by Jesus to reach princes and kings, congressmen and presidents. There is no limit on you when you receive the spirit of God. And that's exactly what's gonna happen to Saul. He's limited by his culture. He's limited by his race. But when he meets Jesus, all the boxes, all the walls are blown apart. And what I can take from this and you can take from this is if you join Jesus and you join the Jesus family, nothing will be impossible for you. But it takes a team. So notice, Saul is welcomed. Uh, Jump down to verse 17. Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. Brother? Saul's the guy out to kill him. But notice when the Spirit of God comes on Saul, things change. When the Spirit of God comes on Ananias, he sees this guy not as an enemy, but if God has welcomed him, it's now Ananias' responsibility and privilege to say, Saul, you are not an enemy, an outsider. You're my brother. And that, my friends, is the call of the church. There's a point in your life when you're not following Jesus and you may feel like an outsider. You may be here and like, I don't know if I fit with all this. I'll, I'll, I'll come to Michaela's house for dinner because that sounds awesome. Like, I'm going to show up. She said married people allowed. Freebie. Hello. Uh, but, but you say, like, I don't feel like I fit because I don't, I don't know. I don't believe the same thing and I don't think the same thing. Yeah, that, that's true. You may feel like an outsider, but when you choose faith in Jesus, something happens within you and within us. And you're no longer just a, a friend. You're part of the family. And so Ananias is used by God to welcome him. Notice Saul is filled with the Spirit, placing his hands on him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you would see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why didn't Saul just get the filling of the Spirit when he met Jesus on the road? It's because God uses the church. There's something that happens in this family. It's mystical. I can't fully explain it, but there's something that happens when you become part of... Now, I'm not just saying the institution, Sunset of Jesus Church, 501c3, nonprofit organization in Hillsborough. I'm saying when you become a part of God's family, You're welcomed in. You're filled with the Spirit. Notice Saul is healed. Notice that Saul is baptized in a moment in water. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fall off of Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up, was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This this saving, this, this healing, this transformation, the baptism, none of it happens Saul and Jesus. It all happens when he joins not just Jesus, but Jesus's family. That's why the predominant metaphor when Saul, we won't go to it now, when he starts writing to churches decades later, and he's trying to explain who's Jesus and do the Jesus people, how does it fit? He describes it this way. We're a body totally connected. And Jesus is the head and all of us are members of, of the body. And that is huge. So you say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church because the, I got burned, man. I was going to first this or second that or blank community church. And you have no idea how evil those people were towards me. 
How un-Jesus-like, how unloving, how hypocritical. And I just need to say this. That is absolutely true, and I'm not downing anything that happened to you. The church is a body with Jesus at the head. The head is perfect, and the body is in process. Jesus is working himself from the head towards us. We are regaining strength. When I first started running, three miles was impossible. Absolutely impossible. The thought of a half marathon, not only was it stupid, it was, imp- it was doubly impossible. But then you know what? You can, you can grow to run more than three miles. You could do 13. You could do 26.2. You, you can push yourself. The body develops. And same thing with the church. When we start to follow Jesus, a few things are right and a lot's wrong. <laughs> But Jesus is working his power, his strength, his wisdom through. So it does mean if you join a local church, you may be sorely disappointed. And we will disappoint you. And let me just tell you, if I haven't already offended you, I will. I will. I'm going to disappoint. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't disappoint. So to those who've been hurt, I am sorry on behalf of Jesus. I am sorry for what was done, but know this. There's no perfect church because there are no perfect people. So whereas you have been burned, it is possible that you've burned somebody too. So it goes both ways. We are disappointing, but Jesus is not. So can I say this? And I say it very carefully. You cannot follow Jesus outside the church. You can't. Now, you can find faith in Jesus and enter the family of God, but if you enter the family, you're now connected to the body. Imagine a big toe trying to do anything by itself. For one, gross. (laughs) Two, it has no power. Therefore, we see the connection. God uses Ananias. God tells Ananias, my healing power is going to run through you and I'm telling you, tell Saul, Jesus could have told him, but he doesn't. Tell Saul he's going to suffer many things when he chooses to follow me. Tell Saul he's going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And that's how the Spirit works. We are a body and God gives giftedness all over the body so that everyone contributes to everyone's growth. So we need each other. Let's just say it like that. We need each other. You need the church. I need the church. When I say church, I don't mean rows and muffins and coffee. I'm talking about people. We need one another. Therefore, if I want to grow deep in Jesus, what is the greatest way to do that? It's to grow deep in a relationship with others who love Jesus. That's the key. Yes, I must become a child of God. Yes, I must be baptized. Yes, I must follow Jesus myself. It is personal, but never private. It is always public. It is always us. And in a culture that is downing the institution of the church, we want to be a people who's not celebrating the institution, but is celebrating the life-giving power of people connected to Jesus together. I want to celebrate that Jesus is in all of us. And if Jesus is in you, 
I need you because you have words, you have giftedness, you have skills, you have expertise. You you may be exercising gifts of prophecy over my life. You may have stuff that I need to hear. I need you. So don't think you and Jesus. Think we and Jesus. It all happens together. Now, what would happen if we actually believed we were useful? Ananias could have said, no way, God. Like, no, I'm not going to that guy. But Ananias says, Lord, what would happen if you and I actually believed that we were useful to Jesus together? Well, let's just read what happens as a result of Saul encountering Jesus. And then there's one more thought before we worship. Look at the middle of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues. Notice, at once, it was immediate began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the very thing he was against. He had a worldview change. And he begins to share with people, I was wrong. I read the Bible wrong. Now I, I can read it right. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him, which you know is coming. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening on the wall. Notice, Many days, verse 23, after many days. Third thing that we see happen. Not only is he called to a new relationship with God, not only is he called to a new relationship with the church, but he's called to a new relationship with the world. Now, immediately, Saul is out there and he sees that people need to hear this life-transforming message. And what happens as a result of you and I really encountering Jesus? It's not just like, wow, this is amazing. And wow, this is for me. And wow, I'm a better person. No, it's like, wow, if this is true and this is right, everyone needs to know that Jesus saves. And so I want to remind you that part of Jesus' plan for you is he's pursuing you. It's not like Saul was looking for God. He was not looking for God at all. He wasn't looking for Jesus at all. But the story is about Jesus pursuing and using the church, using God's people as part of that pursuit. So when you and I get a burden for our friend and we pray for him, so many of you wrote on your cards, we had Seek Day last Wednesday. We asked you last Sunday to write your impossible prayer. And I read many of them, and prayed over many. And we prayed over everyone in the morning. We prayed over everyone at night. And part of it was depressing because there's so much going on in our world. You are very honest, and we appreciate that. But it was telling how much pain there is, how many kids don't know the Lord, how many young people here are praying for their mom and dad to follow Jesus. That was the number one card I happened to read. We're kids praying for mom and dad to follow the Lord. And that's so saddening when it should be mom and dad following and teaching their kids. But that's not the case. But I want you to remember that if Jesus did this for Saul, then Jesus can do it again. He could do it again in your world and in your life. 
And something happens when you and I follow Jesus, relationship with God, follow Jesus, relationship with the church, is that our, our, our place in this world, it changes. I'm not just an employer or an employee. I'm not just a housewife or a husband. I'm not just a student. I'm not just like an Oregonian. No, I'm a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, God is pursuing others and he wants them to know him too. And so I have a part to play. I want to remind you that the story of Saul is a story of God using anybody to reach anybody. And, and if you feel like you're just anybody, you're qualified. I'm, just, I'm not much. Saul is the least likely candidate to be the leader in the church. He writes more of the New Testament than anyone else. And that's the kind of people God chooses to use. So you may feel like least qualified, least gifted, least available, but if you'll place yourself in Jesus' hands, anything is possible for you. Now he says, many days went by, verse 23. Luke just throws that off, like after many days, Saul, blah, 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 blah. But Paul himself later tells us in Galatians 1, those many days was actually three years. A little historical note. So Saul encounters Jesus and he begins to preach for a little bit, but then he goes away and he spends three years out in no man's land. Why? Jesus needed to rework some stuff in his own life and prepare him for this next season. So he immediately has a care and concern for the world, but it does take a while for it to actually work according to what God had said. So God says, you're going to be an apostle, a leader, a preacher to the non-Jews, but he spends three years away. And then when he comes back, he preaches mostly to Jews and then God does it. So what am I saying? I'm saying if Jesus puts something, a burden for the world on your heart, it may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. It may be that God's going to use the next few years. Maybe you're like Saul and you're in this season where you're away and you love God and you love the world and you feel called, but you're just, you're just learning, you're growing. Do not underestimate the value of you pursuing Jesus and learning and growing and being stronger and understanding your faith and asking good questions and getting answers. Don't shortchange the pursuit because if your foundation is deep and wide, God can build a big building. And so you may be in that season of growth and I want to say to you, so was Saul. But Saul eventually comes back. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. This is three years later. They're all scared to death of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Notice the church. Saul comes back three years later, smarter, full of the spirit, ready to go. And the church is like, dude, you are freaky. We are afraid of you. We don't know where you went. And all we remember is like, you were the guy killing us. Maybe, maybe he went away and changed sides again. I don't know. But God uses Barnabas. Ananias to confirm his calling. Barnabas to convince the rest of the church this guy's useful. Notice, Saul, Ananias, Barnabas all had a different part to play, but they're all a part of God shaping Saul to take on the world. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, 
speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Again, this is three years later. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus so the church brings Saul in and they, they protect him in his time of need. So God uses all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons. And God wants to use you. Then verse 31, where it kind of all ties together. Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and notice that progression. Jesus said, Acts 1.8, when you receive the Spirit, you're going to receive power. And you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And Luke reminds us, it's taken some time, but now the church, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, the outskirts, Galilee in the north, Samaria, a foreign land, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. And so what I want us to remember is that the Jesus movement isn't one flash and then it goes on. There are steps. Uh, Someone needs to preach and someone needs to share the good news and someone needs to stand up. And then God speaks to Saul. Someone needs to go and pray for him. Someone needs to reteach him a bit. God uses Saul and Ananias and Barnabas and so many unnamed. And it's just a reminder to us that you have a place. Maybe you're the person that's going to lower Saul in a basket. How, how like, embarrassing is that? I mean, ghetto to the, to the hill. Like, there he is in his little basket going down. Saul is like a leader of leaders. And there he is like a puppy being lowered in the basket and having to run off. But out of love, the church protects Saul because Saul, by temperament, is in your face. And he's going to stand until they kill him. But the church says, no, there's more work for you to do, Saul. We love you. Here's a basket. Get out of town. And God uses that. He protects Saul through the church. So maybe that's just your role. You're the person to, to come alongside in someone's tough spot and you just walk with them and help them get out of their mess. That's part of God's way of reaching the world. It may seem small and insignificant, but God wants to use you. So this morning, are you ready to take the next steps? Are you ready, are you ready to jump in and be used by the Spirit of God. I hope, I hope that you're getting a sense of what your next steps might be. It's different for all of us. It could be as simple as, as, as going to a dinner with some people that you don't know just to say, you know what? If I'm a part of the church. I'm going to join. I'm going to hang out with them for a while. And God may keep you there. He may spin you off. You may start another group. He may send you to another place. That's totally cool. Maybe this morning is just about you getting connected it could be that. It could be about you stepping up. There are all sorts of ways to serve. We're a church that gather, gathers and scatters, serves and gives. Maybe you have these like talents and abilities and you're like, but Jose, Sunday's my day off. It's my Sabbath. It's my time to receive. And I would just say in love, that's, that's half true. Because we have a morning gathering and an evening gathering. And if the day is the Lord's, Use part of it to receive and part of it to give. So maybe it's about you serving at night. You say, but Jose, there's a hike and it's got my name on it. And salt and straw. I just want something with sea salt and bourbon. Please, Jose, don't take away my... I used to say, go at three and then come back. 
all of us, maybe it's stepping into a service opportunity. Maybe it's just being obedient. And you haven't been obedient yet. Saul is receiving to the church and is baptized in water in that order. And maybe it's time for you to follow Jesus. Uh, during the back end of our worship, we saw a few go in obedience. They'd already prepared. Maybe you didn't prepare, but God is stirring you. Today's the day to follow Jesus, not tomorrow. Today's the day. Paul would later write, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued, will be saved. That was his experience. Maybe that needs to be your experience this morning. I'd encourage you, when Brandon uh, is playing, on the back end of this, don't even waste any time. When the music begins, walk to the back. Because I know here this is like scary space. But maybe just walk to the back and go to the side and go to the baptism and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. Or I've been following Jesus, but I've not yet been baptized. I want to this morning. We'd love to receive you. Whatever the next step is for you, like Ananias, Barnabas, Saul, take it. Take that step. And Jesus will meet you there.